Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011. That's right, 12 years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week. If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on. That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club. In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least. <laughs> for our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There? We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis's Christmas in July. We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie? Uh, yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well. Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you. So dive in and get your next read today. Thenextreel.com slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading. Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Check Wikipedia. I hear that's where you'll learn a lot about that, my youth. I'm going to go post that, post that right now. <laughs> yeah. Pete, just to type in in Wikipedia, Pete's youth. <laughs> oh, yeah, this will be good. All sorts of interesting things come yeah. up. 
No, that's good. We should. That's somebody should start a, a page. You know who who would do that? Sarmento. Totally. That's a guy who would. He was. He's probably putting away his lawn equipment right now to go inside and start a Wikipedia page that absolutely boasts no truth about me whatsoever. Because <laughs> that. I'm sure that's what he did. You know why? Because he was feisty the last time we had him on the show. He he. Uh, I don't think he liked me very much after that. <laughs> after we did, so we did the uh, the Hobbit. Have you seen the Hobbit again yet? I haven't. I I was trying to convince my six year old daughter that she should come watch it with me tomorrow. So I showed her the trailer and I said, "So what do you think? Does that look too scary, or does it look like fun?" She said, "No, it looks too scary, Dad." Oh, I'm sorry. So that's I know. Hard times. I, I have not seen it yet either. I'm I'm actually I feel like the right amount of time has now passed, um, where I can uh, where I can go see it and and uh, see the straight up 2D and just see if I still actually enjoy uh, the film. But I, I I my pitch was that it was crazy too long, and uh, that it was it was uh, not true enough to the film, and that's when Sarmento went went crazy. <laughs> That was a good talk. I really enjoyed that. If you haven't heard that episode, go back to the the latest film board and and uh, uh, check out the contributions from the uh, the the distinguished gentlemen who join us once a month for that uh, conversation. It was a good one. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Uh, this is uh, this is the next reel. Welcome, everybody. How's that feel? How does that feel to say that? It feels good. It feels good. I like it. It's really settling in. Uh, I am Pete Wright. You can find me at Pete Wright on the Twitter. You can also find me at thenextreel.com where you can see uh, all of our shows uh, and on Facebook at The Next Reel uh, and Twitter at The Next Reel. So you can find us all The Next Reel everywhere. Uh, Andy? And you can even send us an email at show at thenextreel.com. You can. And where can people call us? They can call us. <laughs> type, 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 type. If you go to facebook.com slash the next reel and click on about, you will find a phone number, which, which you can is, call. <laughs> which is 657-201-REAL. The heart of Anaheim, right? That's, that's right. 657-201-7335. You should call so we'd us. love to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail. Let us know uh, what you think about these movies, and we will likely, we will likely play your voicemail on the air. That's that's our commitment to you. Likely, yes, indeed. And um, so there you have it. You have been you have been notified. Uh, so uh, what do we have? What do we have to talk about tonight? We got some trailer man, crazy trailer week. You know, yeah, it's just been it's it's holiday trailer dump is what it is. Is that what they call? Is that a, an industry term? It sure is. A yeah. trailer dump. Yeah, I think they could find a better term for that. No, I think it pretty much. (laughs) 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 For better or for worse, (laughs) that's good. So uh, we're doing our we're doing our new thing, right? Where we're gonna we're gonna stand pat on one trailer that you and I are each gonna bring to the table this week, and the rest of them we we point to the blog, right? Exactly. So, Andy Nelson, what is your trailer of the week? I've been I've been struggling trying to figure out which one I'm I'm picking, and I I'm not thrilled with any of them, but I think I'm going to pick the Great Gatsby trailer too. I'm really glad you did that because I, the first trailer really kind of left me kerfuddled as to what was exactly going on with <laughs> with <laughs> with the Great Gatsby. Uh, you know, it just it didn't really seem to fit at all. Now, granted. I haven't read the book since high school, so my my vision of it is it's probably from a teenager's perspective, and it it probably is a lot stuffier and and harder to muddle through um, than uh, it in reality probably is. But um, this new trailer that just came out really looks uh, I mean it looks stunning. The story looks really fascinating, and uh, just the way that Baz Luhrmann. Um, is directing it. I mean, he always is a very in-your-face, over-the-top director. Um, but the way he dire- is directing it here, I think, just looks really sharp. And uh, for the story, it looks fascinating. Again, it's very anachronistic with the music choices, but the music that plays in the trailer is stunning, and it works so well. So I am really getting excited for this. 
I I absolutely agree with you. I the the first trailer was pretty anemic, I thought, and uh, this trailer had the the energy and the excitement that I really was was hoping for, and that really I felt lived up to what Baz Luhrmann has done in the past. And and, and the characters. Yeah, I I was going to say there were a couple that that really stood out, but in particular Leonardo DiCaprio, I think may have finally shaken for me, at least in the trailer, that sort of I'm too young to be sophisticated thing. And uh, that I always have to get over in every single movie that he does. He's going to be cursed with it. We've talked about it before. I uh, I think as Jay Gatsby, I think he this trailer kind of illustrated, I think, more of him fitting the role. And I, I was very excited uh, to to see that. And I think Tobey Maguire, too, uh, uh, stood out as Nick Carraway. Um, and so would you say that uh, Leonardo is finally shaking the Leonardo complex? Well, I hope so. I hope this is I hope Gatsby is the film that Leonardo shakes the eponymous <laughs> complex. The complex or the curse, whatever. The curse. It, it, one of one of the lovely uh, terms that we coined I think it's, in the, in the I, glossary. I think it's a curse if we it, it's a curse in this situation because we are saying that he is cursed with it. It's a complex if he feels it himself, right? You know, that could be, but I I think either way, I think it's probably worse. <laughs> I am very excited about this film, and I, you know, the first thing I thought of when I watched this trailer, I watched it on a big screen, put it on the HD, and the first thing I thought was, man, see, this is a movie that would really suffer in high frame rate. <laughs> yes, it would, because it's already going really fast. Man, it's fast, and everything is so bright and vibrant, and it just off angle and it would i think it, high frame rate would destroy it so uh yet another uh to me yet another data data point supporting the please don't do that james cameron uh cause that i'm starting on whitehouse.gov <laughs> sign, sign my petition on whitehouse.gov okay are you gonna hire some people to stand outside the library and <laughs> Get them to sign that for everybody you. Everybody needs a everybody needs a cost. <laughs> Gotta get the numbers. Gotta get the numbers. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, the, I'm very excited about this movie. Baz Luhrmann comes out. Uh, when does it hit? Uh, is it summer? It's, it's summer. summer. Yeah, it's next summer. summer. All right. This looks really good. Finally, it looks really good. I was not not excited. I am yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I'm very excited. So cool. What's your trailer? The Incredible Burt Wonderstone. <laughs> Excellent. This took me totally by surprise. I'm excited about this movie for so many reasons. It is a uh, it is a comedy film starring the fantastic Steve Carell as Burt Wonderstone, Steve Buscemi, Olivia Wilde, and Jim Carrey. Uh, in this, and Jim Carrey is man, that dude hit the gym. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not afraid to say it. Jim Carrey looked good. He's got he's all yeah. tatted up with chains on him. I know he looks serious. He looks serious. <laughs> he looks serious. So the uh, the crux of the film, he this uh, it, it's a uh, 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 what's the what's the name of the real magic uh, duo mauled that were mauled by tigers. In the Vegas. Uh, oh uh, yeah, the tiger I, team. Ca- <laughs> Captain, not Captain and Tennille, Uh Something else. Uh, they were Siegfried and Roy. Siegfried and Roy. All right. So it's it's sort of a Siegfried and Roy kind of thing. They wear lots of, you know, all of their outfits are bejeweled and their ticket sales are down. And so then there's a new, uh, you know, Jim Carrey plays the new magician coming into town. And and uh, it looks like uh, it looks like lots of fun gags. Um, I, uh, I I don't know these guys, Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, uh, who wrote it. I don't I have their names do not ring any direct bells, but uh, the movie hits March 15th. So it's coming out pretty soon. Uh, it looks very funny. And I'm excited about it because we have been working on our 2013 uh, schedule. And I'm not saying when, but I am saying we got a series where we're going to deal with magic films. And uh, I don't know, maybe this uh, maybe this is a fun little addition. Yeah, directed by um, Don Scardino, who's uh, come out of uh, Two Broke Girls, 30 Rock. Uh, Royal Pains. He's uh, Rescue Me. He's a big TV guy. This, uh, yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm very excited about this. Uh, the other uh, folks in the cast. Let's see: Steve Carell, Steve Buscemi, Olivia Wilde, Alan Arkin. That's the yep. one that that jumped yep. out. Uh, Alan, <laughs> Alan Arkin James, is fantastic. Yeah, he, James Gandolfini and uh, Jay Moore. Yeah, it looks fantastic. It looks really funny. Looks, so. It looks it looks goofy fun. Yeah, yeah. This is that's going to be one to see. And that we've got lots of other this was an, another tough week. So we've got lots of other trailers that either are or will be on the blog by the time you catch this out. So uh, the slash blog and you can see the other trailers we're excited about and why.
Did I miss anything? I think we're good. Excellent. Let's let's uh, head onward. Okay, so the movie of the night. We're starting a new uh, series. A- Happy New Year. Happy New Year. This is our, our, our New Year episode and the beginning of a new series. It is, even though it's not quite the new year yet, right? It's not quite, but, but it's awfully close. We're leading up to it's it. Knocking on our door. And uh, so... We're, we are starting the new year anticipating a fantastic new release, uh, which I don't know if we're going to talk about this, but we, we decided we're going to do a Catherine Bigelow series in honor of Zero Dark Thirty, which is getting a lot of spoilerific attention. It sure is. Even though it only opened for, you know, a couple of days and then it went away again. Yeah, it's only open in uh, in New York and L.A. right now. Uh, they pushed back the uh, the wide release from... Uh, from now until well, it was supposed to open uh, mid December, and then they pushed it back to January 11th. So it is going to still be a part of the series, but it's going to be uh, it'll be we'll be um, recording the episode <laughs> fresh. It's going to be really as it fresh. hits from the theater. That's right. It's going to be really quiet. Oh, quiet! Here's here's the torture scene. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not funny. So That's we're starting. Uh, we're starting with an equally cheery film, uh, "Strange Days," nineteen ninety-five. "Strange Days" with uh, Ralph Fiennes and um, uh, and um, Juliet Lewis. I believe it's Rafe. What is? But he I likes it when you call him Ralph. What is up with that? That's the first thing that I want to talk about. What is up with <laughs> that? If you're gonna, if it's gonna be pronounced Rafe, it needs an I in it, or 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 just an F E R A F E. Yes. Lose the L, buddy. Use the L. What happened? So uh, Rafe finds I st- Ralph finds he. Uh, so he plays uh, Lenny, and uh, in in this early, well, not even early, but in this Catherine Bigelow film that was penned by her uh, husband James Cameron, and it was produced by James Cameron, and it was so James Camerony that in fact, in my own library, I didn't even have it as a Catherine Bigelow film until uh, you suggested we do this. I I had it listed as a James Cameron film. I didn't even know she directed it. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. <laughs> I made no connection, which I think says something. So it's been years since I've watched this this movie. Years, years, years. Uh, and uh, I, I think you had said it was the same for you. Yeah, I hadn't watched this um, probably. It's probably been about 10 years since I, I have seen it. Yeah, so it's been a while. And how how did it age for you? You know, it didn't age... Uh, it didn't age well, but it it uh, it isn't um, it isn't horrible. It's not like I hate it now or anything, but it didn't age as well as I would have hoped it would have. Really? Yeah, it's a little. Uh, I don't know. It just felt more dated now, and I felt the story a little less interesting. I find certain aspects of it still absolutely fascinating, but. On the whole, I think it was a little disappointing. Well, can we talk a little bit about Catherine Bigelow first? Yeah, before, let's talk. Before we Catherine. jump into the specific film, if this is going to be a Catherine Bigelow thing, then then we're going to do this. I feel like I discovered Catherine Bigelow when she first sort of came to my attention was just two thousand eight with The Hurt Locker, which was uh, a terrific film. Absolutely, I I think it was a a fantastic film. I could watch it again and again, and I get something new out of it every time. And maybe it's because of the timeliness, maybe it's because of the approach, but I always thought there was this sort of wonderful uh, treatment that comes with a war film directed by a woman. There is a sort of sentimentality that and a touch to the story that I think is really uh, appealing to me um, and, and different. And, and, and so I really love that. I have seen many of the other movies that she has directed, and I am stunned by how many of them are, like Strange Days, ultimately forgettable for me. Yeah, uh, I, I, th- I think I was conscious of her with Point Break, which she did in 91, um, just because it seemed like there was a lot of talk about this, this um, you know, crazy, over-the-top uh, boys action movie directed by this woman director. Right. And I mean, she had done some, like, Blue Steel and Near Dark before that, but that was the one that she really came to attention for me, and... Um, and I enjoyed Point Break for what it was, but it's not something I ever, uh, ever felt like going back to at all. 
Um, although I am very curious to see the live uh, play version of it, where they <laughs> where they cast uh, uh, the the was it the Johnny character with an audience member who reads. <laughs> who, who I don't reads, know uh, about this. Yeah. <laughs> they cast the Johnny Utah part from the audience, and then they read off of cue cards for the duration of the show. It's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, but um, but Strange Days really caught my attention, and um. I found it a, a, like a really fascinating film and a really interesting look. It, it was made in 95. It took place at the turn of the century, the whole Y2K thing, which they completely were wrong about because we they, they didn't put anything in about how the whole computer system was going to crash in their film, which well, yeah, should we, have been and, prescient and, enough to, to put planet. Well, they should have, and we should we should talk about uh, about kind of what that vision, the, the 85 vision of 99. Uh, the 90, was. 95 vision of I mean 95 vision of 99 would was going to be uh, yeah. but anyway go on so uh you know I I really enjoyed it in 95 when it came out I found it a really fascinating um you know sci-fi film that uh, like a modern day sci-fi film that took place you know, only uh 4 years into the future yeah I, you know I I felt that way too and I I think I remember you know, I remember my feeling when I saw it at the time was, wow, isn't it cool that we have people who, filmmakers and storytellers who think that we are evolving at such a techn technological pace that we'll have these sort of, um, you know, mind or, or sort of thought recording devices in just four years. Yeah. Uh, and, and I thought that was, that's always fun when you have this sort of futurist. And this sort of came out at, in, in a time, I think, when, when you had this this kind of wave of cyberpunky type stories, Johnny Mnemonic and and um, hackers and and there there was just this kind of wave of films that all had the same feel to them, yeah. sort of uh, uh, synthetic, um, kind of cardboard, plastic, uh, lots of neon, um, and uh, ultimately on on watching it again now years later uh, really did not. Uh, or lacked in substance there was there was sort of no substance and i think that comes from force feeding us with a vernacular that um that was so far out of the realm of 1995 or our perceived kind of uh 1999 reality that it was just plain awkward coming these words were just plain awkward coming out of the mouths of of characters it made it really distracting and hard to watch and and i felt like every time they said something uh it like you know wired in or um you know dealing with with any of the underlying technology i felt like well i'm just out of the story because they sound ridiculous they don't even believe what they're talking about it was it, it, it's almost um frustrating um uh, almost painful how expositional it all becomes as ray finds uh, as as the character um lenny nero as he's like almost every time they're you know tapping into this thing or, or wiring it or jacking in whatever um to the uh to the squids when they put them on your head he's like narrating the movie for you essentially telling you what's happening so that you can understand this future technology and it gets really distracting because it, he has to do it practically every time um, something big is happening so that we have a, a sense as to what's going on because it's, um, you know, it's this crazy technology. And it, it makes it very hard because um, it's clumsy. It's it's clumsy having to listen to somebody um, lay out that much exposition for you when big things are happening. It takes away some of the energy, I think. It, I think it totally does, and they do that. Every, you're right. Every time we need to make any sort of uh, uh, any sort of progress in the story, they have to explain some new piece of technology, and that always seems to happen in a conversation between Lenny uh, finds Lenny and a mark of some sort. You know, in some sort of a sales pitch kind of a context, right? He's he is either explaining something to someone that he that is going to uh, partake of his underground service to you know buy a, an experience with a prostitute or experience robbing a bank, uh, or he's explaining something to his dear friend, uh, Angela Bassett, um, who plays uh, Mace, um, you know, who has conveniently sworn off all of these, uh, all of this technology in order to, uh, uh, you know, as more of a purist. And so um, there are lots of, structurally, there are lots of great opportunities to explain to the audience what is going on. And 
that I think serves, as you say, to the film's a disservice to the film um, because it ends up really making it plot along. It's a long film, and it just feels even longer with all the words. It does. And also, I, I didn't recall this last time, and this is going to be um, spoilerific for anybody who's trying to uh, decide if they want to watch it, so we may ruin everything for you here. But the movie I found very confused as far as what story it was wanting to tell. You know, we've got um, Lenny and trying to solve the, I mean, it, it, it all ties together, but he, Lenny is trying to uncover um, this, what's happening to his friend, Iris, this prostitute who sells him um, feeds, I guess you could say. So um, he can, you know, uh, have other people yeah. rent her experiences or whatever you want to call right. it. Um, uh, and he's trying to figure out what's going on with her because she's like left him this uh, mysterious tape. And, but then it all ties into this bigger political story of this, this rapper who um, is, was killed. And then you come to find out that these corrupt cops had done it. And it just, it, the story kind of gets a little convoluted and it just, it starts feeling unnecessary. And I, I start losing track of, okay, what's really the point of the story here? You know, or is it this big political um, mess about this this rapper who speaks for the people? Or is it this kind of this little detective story as he's trying to figure out what's going on with Iris? And, and it gets very convoluted at the end when he's trying to resolve everything that happened with, uh, with Iris and he's, he's stopping uh, the bad guys and all that sort of stuff. And then you come back to Mace having to deal with these police officers. And it, it kind of gets convoluted because it's like, well, who am I following here? Who's really the protagonist? Is it Lenny? Is it Mace? I don't know. All of a sudden, our story is kind of split into, into these two directions. And it, it gets a little kind of watered down. And you just don't really get a, a solid sense of the, of the story you're supposed to be paying attention to anymore. You know, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I think this is where it, it falls apart is because that was not done with any intention, apparently. Um, you know, we, you know, typically we run into this experience where we're led down this path only to be surprised later and, uh, you know, by uh, some turn of events that, that allows us to realize what the real story was all along. And then it, it becomes sort of a rewarding experience, like we earned it. And, and in this case, by the time we reach the end, I think when Lenny is in, um, you know, is in the... Um, in the room with Tom Sizemore's uh, Max Peltier, and he's learning, uh, and and we get the expositioning, yeah. <laughs> the the uh, Sizemore exposition at the end, uh, where he's explaining, and he actually comes out and says, you know, I'm going to take the time because I know you're going to die soon. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and tell you everything, and, and right. it, it is the absolute stereotype of of this just terrible kind of climax. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're there and we realize this is what the story is all about. And very little of what of of the, you know, sort of the specific kind of plot points leading to that would have allowed us to figure that out. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you go back and take it apart, uh, other than Tom Sizemore acting shifty, uh, there is nothing sort of concrete that would allow us to realize that there is any sort of motivation for Sizemore's character to to you know do yeah. what he did uh, uh, to to kind of betray his friend Lenny and uh, fall in love with Juliet Lewis uh faith uh, character of faith I, yeah. I just it, it all fell apart at the end for me I, I thought there were there was a apart from being risky um you know kind of a risky story there are a couple of things going on in, in the story but in terms of one character that I think really stood out to me is Angela bassett um, who I found was the only kind of character for me in this in the entire film that didn't come off as as a um as a set piece really yeah hmm. you disagree you know i i really enjoy angela bassett but sometimes she gets into these roles where it's like she's just playing angry angela and uh, you know she's for this one i i felt a lot of that i i felt like you know a lot of that came from you know, feeling like she uh, was almost like out of place in this film, like playing a, a limo driver. I like I had a hard time buying that for a while. But not just limo; she was security, right? She was she she was a high powered security person. 
Well, a, a limo driver, though. I mean, yeah, but she, she drove, drove a limo. Like and she, she, yeah, right. she took care of people, but she was hired as protection to drive this limo, and pre- she was like a bodyguard. Right. It, it, right. But it just, I, it, this future world, I, I just struggled with her because every time that she was involved in the exposition, it just seemed that much more clunky because she just really seemed to be struggling with the uh, the whole concept, and I, I couldn't get into it very much with her. Oh, see, um, I liked her a lot more toward the end once she maybe it was like her transition once she actually watched the feed. Um, I think I liked her from that point forward. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I absolutely see that point. Although I liked her throughout, I thought that she was counterpoint to, uh, like I said, the set dressing. I mean, uh, she she provided this sort of um, emotional depth or texture. Uh, you know, I I thought it was convenient that she had sworn that she was not going to to ever use the squid. Uh, it was a convenient sort of storytelling element. But other than that, you know, I felt like her her place opposite Lenny. Uh, made him more interesting and he needed it because otherwise he was just kind of sweaty and uh and uh, sort of uh, i mean i just found him ultimately weak uh and so when you have these you know it's hard to believe that he was supposed to be set up as a police officer like a, a, a that was thrown out of the force you know he had uh, he was constantly getting beaten up, and and until the very end, when he actually goes up against the bodyguard of what's his name and uh, of uh, uh, right, yeah, of Michael, our, Michael Wincott, uh, Michael Wincott, right? uh, uh, Philo, uh, right? Uh, as he goes up, and he beats up the the uh, the bodyguard, and that is a complete surprise because his character has not shown any of that sort of backbone up until that physical backbone up up to that point, and so Bassett, I think, provides his strength for me, and she's the one that made his the other side of his character kind of um, uh, interesting at all. Yeah. Um, and and I think you're right. And at, at the end, uh, I think that, you know, there's all the craziness going on around her at the, the New, Year's Eve, New Year's Eve celebration. And it's kind of a clumsy sequence. Yeah, uh, it really is. It It's tough to kind of, follow who's been shot and who's been you know who's why there is a mob scene and you know i i I, we can talk about the kind of new year's eve thing in a bit but for her place like she was a she was kind of part of the anchor for that that made it that allowed me to follow it which i don't think i would have followed it at all because i was interested in her so yeah yeah it's i mean it it's the film struggles with its concepts, and I, I think that's the thing that's that's most frustrating. And, and you know, some of that, if not most of that, perhaps comes from the fact that James Cameron um, co-wrote the script with uh, somebody named Jay Cox, who I'm not familiar with, but um, he was nominated for Academy Award for uh, The Age of Innocence and Gangs of New York. So he's uh, he's uh, clearly a pretty good uh, writer. Um, but you know, I. It makes me think that James Cameron, who I think a lot of people acknowledge screenwriting as as amazingly as he can put together a film, um, screenwriting, particularly the dialogue with his characters, is one of his weakest points. I think you can look back at all of his films and you can just see how weak some of his dialogue is and how frustrating and expositional it is. And I think it really shines through in this film. I, I think so, too. And, and you know, it's possible that... Um, you know, from what I understand, the the production was uh, was a challenging one, particularly between uh, Bigelow and James Cameron, and that is why you know I I, I think that serves why I uh, uh, you know even I I have this image of this film being a James Cameron film and not a Bigelow film because uh, you know the way I understand it, his hands were so deep in this film that that uh, uh, she uh, has expressed uh, historically some great frustration in making the movie with him they were divorced at this point and and uh, and it it sort of reads as one of those films and we've talked about them before where they're just you know when you have this discontent at the top um it, it makes for for uh, it, it's like they've shoved three movies in here yeah yeah the, and it's not to say they weren't trying anything new. I mean, I think the concept yeah. is a really unique concept. This idea of of taking uh, recordings of somebody's, you know, uh, what they're seeing, basically a memory almost, and uh, basically trading it like a drug where you can tap in and you can watch 
somebody else's experience, some, whether it's like robbing a bank or or making love or uh, what are some of the other ones oh, we see? Or like just play, just being with somebody, like roller skating in the park, that sort right. of thing. It's it's uh, it's really a fascinating idea, and and it's I I don't think that they're too far off that if if something like this was created the government would probably try its best to to uh, limit its use if not ban it because of the crazy addiction and i i don't think they're too far off on on how things would end up um becoming with this people would be so you can see this with video games particularly these these games where people can go online and they can basically have their own character that's living almost real time in another world i mean it's essentially that sort of thing where the but you're living real time in somebody else's actual experience yeah, you know, and I think this is not the I, I, we exchanged some emails about this. This is not the first time this concept has been has been touched on. Nineteen eighty three's brainstorm with uh, Christopher Walken and Natalie Wood. Natalie Wood's last film actually feels to, very much to me like the the spiritual predecessor or prequel to Strange Days, uh, where we're working with the scientists who are developing, who are are actually inventing this technology to record our experiences and emotions, uh, in and uh, you know for the military in a laboratory. And it's in fact one of the characters records her death, and that becomes a thing of controversy. And um, and now we have Strange Days, which deals with uh, recording the uh, what they call a snuff tape. Uh, where you're, they're dealing with uh, sort of black market uh, death sequences recorded on these devices. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I think you're right. It sort of takes that to the next level, where the military has let it go, and now it's or or has lost control of it. And now it is black market, and and in fact, I one of the things that's really appealing to me is the one central crime story of this film, which is this murderer uh, who is uh, killing people. Uh, while they are wearing these, they they're blindfolded. They are wearing these squids, and they are being they're able to see because the the killer is also wearing one of these squids. They're able to see what the killer is seeing while they are blindfolded. So they are living the experience of the killer as the killer is killing them. Does that make sense? Yeah, and raping and killing them. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. Right. It's he, horrific. He takes his feed from his squid that he's wearing on his head recording his mar- right. his experience and he's tapping into their squid and feeding it to them live so they're essentially watching the killer rape and kill them yeah it's it's horrible it's horrifically like horrible to think about even though ultimately it's not it it, it doesn't it's not that violent right well and and unfortunately i don't think they expl- i i think it's fascinating and it's horrible I, I don't think they explore it nearly. Right. I, that could have been the story. That, that could have been the story. Leave out all the stuff with with Jericho, this rapper who was killed. Forget all of that. Focus on this and the psychology and the damage and everything. I mean, that we, to me is the fascinating element of this film. And we could have if been, they had found a story that focused on that, yes. they could have made an amazing film. We could have been talking about this with the same sort of respect we talk about Seven. I mean, that's that's what they had here, I yeah. think. Yep. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. All the cultural stuff, everything, you know, thinking about new, the, you know, the year 2000 thing is it, it, there's just no weight to it. I don't remember. I mean, it, it, you know, maybe I'm remembering this, you know, sort of lazily. I don't remember the same sort of crazy anticipation to the year 2000 uh, from a cultural perspective that there was some sort of racial undertones that there was some sort. I, I just don't have a memory of that. Well, and I I, I think even at the time, I, I found it very strange that they they put it at that turning point because i i just i mean it it's not that big of a turning point yeah. you know it's only four years in the future from when the film was released and uh, you know the technology is a little different and stuff sure that's fine but what was so big about making it pinpointed to that moment i there's nothing it doesn't tie in in any way no there is nothing you're absolutely right and i think then it what that does for this film over time is it 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 take it sort of sucks the value out of it um because they you know i think they tried to 
attach to it this sort of cultural weight that says, okay, we're going to document this these sort of feelings, this cultural undertone of the racial divide in America, and you know, this is what it looks like. You know, we're we're rolling cars and we're, you know, we're we're uh, you know, there's riots on the street and tanks uh, at every intersection. And I think they tried to make a film that was just too close to real time. Uh, to be believable and it falls apart and as a result you absolutely lose touch with the 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 more interesting story which was as we said the crime yeah i i'm i'm reading a little note here that actually says james cameron um first dreamed up this story in 1985 with the notion of a film noir thriller taking place on new year's eve 1999 so that's why it's it's taking place there he had latched onto that and even though it didn't fit the story anymore he he you know made it fit and to its, uh, yeah to its detriment yeah to its detriment and then we have these two police officers we haven't mentioned um vincent d'onofrio and william fitchner um as the the two police officers who weirdly are only seen running after uh iris and and then uh going Lenny crazy and and then Lenny and Mace, and then D'Onofrio's, you know, blood-soaked face and his crazy face at the very, very end, which is sort of the iconic look of the film. Otherwise, these two characters are uh, completely wasted. Yeah, there's nothing about them at all. It's an absolute tragedy. It's a tragedy to take a, take two character actors like this, even though, you know, they were, you know, obviously it was years ago and they were younger and hadn't, hadn't quite done, you know, what they've done now. I think it was an absolute waste of great talent in this story. It was terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah, it was. It's, it was uh, disappointing. Um, it, it, this is, this is one of those films that really suffered from going back and rewatching it. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I liked it a lot more and, uh, I, uh, am feeling it. Feel totally. a little sad, you know, and it it comes to uh, again. It was it was long, two hours and sixteen minutes, something two twenty five, two twenty two, almost two and a half hours. Goodness, it was long. Um, so James Cameron, story by James Cameron, screenplay James Cameron and Jay Cox. Uh, let's see, let's see. We've got cinematography by Matthew uh, Leonetti, who, who who did uh, um, our uh, Fast Times it? at Richmond uh, High, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Absolutely, that's where we've talked about it before. Mm -hmm. uh, it is, it, his, um, uh, you know, his filmography is littered with uh, films like this. He was very busy in the eighties and nineties, and um, uh, had. Let's see. Most recently, uh, he did uh, Hall Pass, which I hear is very funny. I've not seen it. Uh, it's one of those it did look like something I wanted to see. You know? But he did Star Trek Insurrection. Mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, uh, I I have kind of a soft spot in my heart for that film, even though so, it's not that great. And and speaking of Matthew Leonetti, um, I I think we absolutely have to talk about all the POV scenes in this. Oh yeah, that's good. That's good. We should do because that. I think if there's any reason to look at this film, um, the the POV scenes, and I believe there are nine over the course of the film are absolutely worth watching, particularly the first one, which is just uh, stunning, especially when you realize what went into making it happen. Essentially, because of the nature of these squids, that the squid is the little thing that you put on your head and it records um, your what you're watching or what you're seeing, or you can use it then to actually play back uh, what somebody else saw. It's like headphones for your brain. It's a what? It's, it's like your headphones for your brain kind of a thing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Which, um, um, interestingly, the squids were actually um, designed, they actually had them designed by some uh, some pretty high-end people like, uh, of course, now i got to find it, um, Sid Mead, we've talked about oh, yeah, before. Yeah. He was the, uh, well, he uh, um, playback deck and additional trode design and then stan winston actually designed the uh, playback deck and, and the manufacturing of it so some pretty big names for that but for this pov shot what, the whole idea is that because you're seeing what someone else is seeing there can't be any cuts in it there's no edits and so in order to accomplish this first opening shot 
which is about four minutes long of a robbery. They actually, there's a fascinating uh, conversation Catherine Bigelow has kind of explaining it, and I'll try to sum it up as quickly as I can. But basically, there's like, it, it's about five shots, and they have um, um, cuts in it. And if you look really closely, you can catch it. It's when it's wiping. And, and usually she'll do like a whip pan across something. And somewhere in that whip pan, it'll cut. And the reason for that is because you've got this cameraman wearing this specially um, designed Steadicam rig with a very small 35 millimeter camera that, that they modified specifically just for this. And they brought it down to about, I mean, 35 millimeter camera. They're filming, filming this with 35 millimeter film. They're big cameras but they uh, modified this one so it was only about i believe it was about six pounds so it was or six or eight pounds it was really really light they put it on this steady cam rig and then the camera operator he would operate the steady cam with his right hand and with his left hand and, and it was literally like the camera was right in front of his face he couldn't see anything and he had like a little monitor tapped into the camera hanging over his eye so he that's that's the only way he could see what he was doing and then with his left hand he was using his left hand to play the character's left hand strapped to him was a stuntman whose hand he had his right hand out and he, the stuntman would play the right hand so anytime you're seeing the right hand you're seeing the stuntman's hand and then these two are, you know, whether they're in the car or running across a room or hitting someone on the head with a gun, they're, they're doing all these amazing things uh, while the, the two of them are strapped together. And then you have a grip running along behind them carrying uh, the cable, and that's strapped into the focus puller who's operating the little focus, uh, the ring to control the focus on the camera. So all these people are running around making it look like this, uh, this one person. And, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a long scene and there's a couple cuts in it because they had to um, change the types of cameras that they were using a couple times. And then inevitably, inevitably at the end of the scene, they get up to this roof. You see a stuntman uh, live jump from one roof to the other with uh, there's an airbag under it. Because, uh, but then you go as a POV, you go up and you look over the edge and you see that there's no, there's no airbag there. And that's because they actually painted the airbag to look like the ground. And then they covered it with trash and everything. And then they strap this guy in on a harness so that he doesn't fall as he runs up to the edge like that. But then he doesn't jump and then he backs up and he looks up and he sees a helicopter in that time. There's another cut. And then they have the actual guy now it's a different rig it's actually a helmet rig and this guy actually runs and he jumps and he grabs onto the edge all of this is happening like the cameraman the camera operator is literally jumping off the roof he's like a stunt stuntman guy and he's hanging off the roof and then he falls and he and he hits the ground and it's all done um it took it took them i can't remember how many days to film this sequence but it took over a year uh to to plan it and get everything ready uh, very, very complicated, very technically complicated uh, thing to do. And it happens in four minutes and you don't even realize uh, all of the technical things that they had to go through to make this happen. But when you start looking at it and you realize it, it's, I mean, it's actually one of the most amazing pieces of filmmaking that's probably happened in you know a very long time. All right. <laughs> you'll, you'll give that. I'll give them that. Angela Bassett and the crime time, uh, uh, the uh, crime storyline. Yeah, that's what I'll give. No, I, you know, I think you're right, and it's interesting. There's a um, Strange Days gets gets some interesting credibility through this this uh, through a conversation about kind of meta filmmaking, uh, meta cinema, uh, meta filmmaking. You know, it's uh, Hitchcock is um, Hitchcock's great line is always attached to you know kind of this this movie and and vertigo the the camera consciousness which would no longer be defined by the movements it is able to follow or make but by the mental connections it is able to enter into mm. uh that at at some point is strange days this kind of harbinger of things to come like you say you know it seems like everything we do culture if there's any cultural kind of statement to make through entertainment it is everything we do in in terms of diversion is about creating more realistic, more holistic environments for which we uh, are able to enter, right? 
Mm-hmm. That's that's why we belabored the whole you know forty eight frames per second thing that Peter Jackson says it's a it's a much more uh, immersive experience seeing this movie. That's why we're so interested in going into these multiplayer online environments where we can kind of immerse ourselves in this this other world, this other experience, and that's why I think Strange Days gets a lot of credibility with it, particularly in terms of this uh, device where it allows us to experience this whole other world experienced by somebody else. Uh, and is this really the direction of, of film, right? That, that right. you know, eventually what we're going to be doing when we watch movies is we're going to be plugging in. It's not just putting on a 3D a set of 3D glasses. It's going to be, you know, closing our eyes and plugging in and experiencing the movie and living the movie and, um, and, and being the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, it, it calls for an interest. I mean, you see it in other interesting films like Minority Report and things like that. But it, right. it's uh, it is really kind of frightening. <laughs> you know, it makes you wonder where things are going to go, where where it's all going to end up, and when's it going to stop? Well, it's not, it's not going to stop. If we've learned anything, we've learned it's not go. Are you kidding? <laughs> is that a thing? Things don't stop. <laughs> They won't stop. Yeah, there are there are some. Over. There is a uh, there's a wonderful. I was just sort of typing away as you were talking. There's a wonderful list of uh, uh, there are several lists of meta cinema films uh, that kind of fit this same uh, character. I I wonder sort of it's it's this sort of films that look at themselves um, from the inside out, and I wonder if adaptation in some way doesn't fit uh, in this in this category. If we're looking for parallels, there's sort of an interesting not not technically not sort of movement of the camera. Uh, but in terms of uh, the self-reflexive uh, storytelling uh, in a movie like that, so there are, there are a lot of interesting uh, films that are on this list that are worth checking out. Uh, cool, and I'll post a link to the uh, to the list there. So uh, this movie did uh, about as we would have predicted in the box <laughs> yeah, office, considering. Uh, yeah, it cost about I see a production budget of forty two million. Uh, to make, and um, I, I don't see it saying the total budget. So all I see is uh, production budget, forty-two million, and it really suffered. I only see domestic <laughs> figures for this film. I can't find international anywhere, but it it barely it didn't even make eight million domestically. Uh that's tough. It is. It really, really, really struggled. You know, it's it, it's tough. It's uh, it, it served a lot of purposes for a lot of people. I mean, you know, it was the film that got Ray Fiennes uh, here, right? Uh, this was this was his first American-made film. Uh, was it? Yep. Are you sure about that? Mm, yeah, he'd done Schindler's List, right? But that was abroad. No. What do you mean it was made abroad? Right, he was it, it, this. Hang on, let me get to my note here. Right. Oh, it was, he was made Fines abroad, but it was, Fines, it was very, uh, very much made, an American film. Fines made his U.S. debut in this film. He spent most of his time before British and European films, including Schindler's List. Now he got to do this American-made film for the very first time, which he enjoyed appearing in. And what about Quiz Show? That was a British film, technically. <laughs> For you know, okay. think, I I don't know. I, I, I guess know. I, I have a hard. To, okay, American film in the fact that it was American made in America. You know, Quiz Show. It's you know maybe it's a British film, but it took place in America. Schindler's List with Steven Spielberg. You know, I don't know these people who say those sorts of things. I don't know. Well, I no. I mean, what I'm saying is for from if you're looking at it from from the perspective of fines, uh, this was his first American big American film that got him to this shore. I don't know if well, that's uh, interesting at all. It's I, becoming well, less interesting it, it the more you talk about it. put him on the map as more than just kind of this this um, foreign actor. Right. Because Schindler's List was really his breakout performance. I mean, he was nominated for an Oscar and rightfully should have won. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but um, he, he was still kind of a foreign guy with a funny-sounding name that, that Pete still can't pronounce. And, yes. and Quiz Show, which is an amazing film that we should definitely yeah. talk about one of these days, um, it, Robert Redford directed, but it was it was kind of a, a a smaller film that I don't know if if that many people saw, although everybody should see it. Yeah, it, you know that's a that's a really good point. Hey, and it came out in ninety four. Yeah, 
I mean, it was nominated for uh, for no, best picture. Yeah, for you know, sake. this is you're right. This is you've you've caught something here, Andrew. You've caught something. I I had placed Quiz Show as later, and that is incorrect because this is it, it is absolutely a U.S. film, Hollywood Pictures. U.S. I, I didn't think that it was made. No, nope, it is not British. It is not a British film. Produced and directed by Robert Redford. Um, yeah. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna let that go. Okay, I will too. All right. Um, so it this uh, it did terribly, but it uh, it has some redeeming, uh, interesting sort of points. Not quiz show, strange days, and it gets us talking about Catherine Bigelow. And so on the point of Catherine Bigelow, somewhere between uh, this film and The Hurt Locker, she uh, she's made a, a better movie. It certainly wasn't. It, I actually, you know, I was not a big fan of uh, K nineteen. I wasn't either. Uh, it it received very little, I think, notoriety as as a result. Harrison Ford, uh, man, it was another one that cost a ton of money to make and made very little. Yeah. K nineteen, uh, uh, that uh, submarine comedy starring Harrison Ford and Liam Neeson. <laughs> uh, she did a uh, the the weight of water. Uh, just prior to that, which I have not seen. I haven't either. I, I think it was a very kind of almost an independent sort yeah. of film, I think. Yeah. Uh, with Sean Penn and Elizabeth Hurley. Uh, and so, and then comes uh, The Hurt Locker, which is where we are going to go next week. Yeah. Man, what happens? Like a different person. Well, I, I think what happened, I mean... You know, and we we'll certainly talk about Catherine Bigelow um, quite a bit. My sense, just just based on on this trajectory that she's had, is that she was very much. I mean, she she was married to James Cameron for a while. She really had kind of an action director vibe. She kind of always has, and really was tapped into kind of that. I mean, the rock culture. She did the the video for. Um, Touched by the hand of God for a new order, you know she's very much is um, kind of tapped into that kind of wild party action kind of directing uh, style, and uh, I think what happened it, it seems to me that that leading up through uh, K nineteen. It, it it feels like she might have been getting sick of that kind of style or wanted to try doing something else but was was almost pigeonholed and it it seems to me that maybe that's where the weight of water came from because it seems a little more of an independent sort of film right um and then uh, you know leading up to the hurt locker which very much was you know a, a quite a struggle for them to get made and i think that she probably really had to fight for that and uh it was done on a very low budget and uh I, I think that she just pushed and, and worked kind of more of the independent outside Hollywood system so that she could get something made that she really wanted to do. Well, and, and to that point, what you notice when you look at the movies that leading up to and then after, um, you know, we have movies that are really, truly about something, right? They're telling a story that has, I think, far more cultural weight and cultural relevance than uh, action movies and sort of perceptive cultural relevance and what we have with the hurt locker is a, a you know a, a story that is close to a lot of people that a lot of people in this country and around the world can relate to quite directly because of you know what we see in the media and uh, it, you know telling this story is an important story and i say that with sort of a capital i important story mm -hmm. um, and zero dark 30 it goes down the same road uh this is another important story and it's an important story to be told with with integrity i'm I'm really looking forward to seeing it it's already you know obviously got a lot of buzz and and we can talk about kind of the the betrayal of the audiences and the for you know for oscar um in how this film has been released later but um it's i i think that is a that's a real sentiment that you see in her stories and maybe this is where she is in her life. I'm looking forward to reading more about kind of how she came to these stories as we talk about them in the coming weeks. Yeah, definitely. That's all I have. Do you have more? I have a few little things. Do it. Uh, one, this, this kind of, uh, all I could think about when this moment in the movie happened was hot fuzz and all of the hilarious action cliches that Edgar Wright 
and uh, and Simon Pegg really wanted to make sure that they included in their film. And I'm sure if they had a body of water, they would have included this. But it's a total action cliche that if people crash their car into the water and the bad guys come up and are, are waiting for them to surface, but the good guys don't surface, it's because... According to the bad guys, they think the good guys are dead, but the good guys always manage to swim underwater to the dock and hide in the dock just until the bad guys go away. <laughs> Total right. action cliche that always happened. And then the bad guys assume they're dead until, oh, they see, they see them later in the film and are completely taken by surprise. I would like to see the first film where that occurred. I would like to see that one too, because boy, it, it is total cliche. And when it happened to this, I'm like, man, that... Hot Fuzz really missed this one. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Well, and this is a, uh, you know, this is a fully armored limousine, and she is able to, with her bare hands, rip the back seats off uh, and get into this armored trunk where there is a loaded shotgun for easy access to Damn shoot their straight. way out of the trunk. She's a toughie. She is tough. And then, oh, what was the other thing I was going to say? I'm not sure if it met. Oh, and then this is just uh, tying into Catherine Bigelow, which, you know, we can probably talk about more when we get to Heart Locker and, uh, and uh, Zero Dark Thirty. But have you, are, are you tapped into the weird, you know, antagonistic thing going on between her and Brett Easton Ellis? Have you heard any about, like, his tweets that he's, like, totally, like angry at her and stuff like that like there's this tweet that he did um december 6th Catherine bigelow uh strange days k19 the widowmaker blue still the hurt locker are we talking about visionary filmmaking or just okay junk wow and and it's yeah it, and it started this whole like kind of this weird like vitriolic sort of anger thing going on um, with him, and he's gotten quite a bit of flack for it, but uh, I think he's he's really feeling that she's not much of a filmmaker. Well, he had. I, I think the one that I had heard was this this one. Uh, Catherine Bigelow would be considered a mildly interesting filmmaker if she was a man, but since she's a very hot woman, she's really overrated. Yeah, and that's the other one. Which what date? Do you have the date on that one? Um, uh, December seventh. No. That's not it. Wait, no. wait for it. It's coming. Uh, at least he finds her attractive. I mean, yeah. Well, there's right? that. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. But you know, I don't know what it is about him, but he really is. Uh, he's got some issues with her. I think either her or or women filmmakers who aren't making the proposal. Have you? I, I mean, really, though, when you look at the other uh, films that he. Uh, or the books that he has has written and the the films that have come from them, um, I, I you know, uh, am I surprised that this is his attitude? No. So yeah, I I guess that's kind of it. I mean, here's he's a guy who's just he's he's got his he's battling his own demons and he's decided that he's going to do it on Twitter against this woman who's doing really quite well telling important stories. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I yep. yeah uh, yeah yeah he, uh, I I'm yeah. Anyway, he's he so, apologized and he thinks she's hot. So, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> Ignore him. Right. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else related to the movie from you? One last thing. Should yeah. we uh, should we rank it on our flick chart? We should rank it all on of our, our other flick movies. Chart. You can find us at the at flickchart.com slash the next reel. And uh, Andy, would you like to do the honors? All this right, is a thing. Go. I like this. So this is our our, uh, our honorary uh, ranking. We've got all the movies that we have discussed thus far on our flick chart chart, and now we're going to throw Strange Days into the mix. All right. So you ready, Pete? <laughs> I'm ready. All right. Strange Days or Sweeney Todd? Oh, Sweeney Todd. Definitely. Strange Days or the Parallax View? Really? I, you know, this is almost going to be embarrassing, I think. Parallax View. Yeah, Totally. I can't think of a movie. Let me put it. Well, never mind. Spoiler. No, uh, I don't want to spoil yeah. it. We got to go through Days it. Strange Bullet. Bullet? Mm-hmm. Or oh, Alien Resurrection. Now, see. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's where I have to start struggling. Strange Days or Alien Resurrection. Hmm. That's, I, it. that's I, easy for me. I'm going to have to say Alien Resurrection just because yeah. at least it has aliens in it. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, but here we go. Strange Days or Rush. <laughs> 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 oh, this is tough. 
I'm going to go Strange Days because uh, the POV stuff, I, I think, you know, beats yeah. out anything in Rush. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 I'll go with that. And uh, Strange, Strange Days or The Fifth Element. <laughs> the Fifth Element. Oh. Listen, uh, listen. I'll look at, think of that. it this way. I'm going to give it to you this that. way. If you are given a DVD player and two movies and you have nothing to do and you're going to be, let's say you're filing and you need to have a movie on in the background, which one will give you more joy? <laughs> I'm not probably, saying yeah, you're probably right, the give you thing. joy. I'm saying give you relative joy compared to the other choice. Yes, right. Exactly. All right. So there it is. We It's ranked second to last. <laughs> <laughs> Strange Days, 59 out of 60, just ahead of Rush. You know what, Andy? I think this is an important realization that we need to... Um, uh, that that we need to just really get out there because I think we have a great opportunity now. I think this is the first time that we have a movie that we both genuinely, really, uh, we no longer have to pretend that we like it. Yeah. I don't. I I no longer really like this movie. I'm really glad we talked about it because there are some good things going on in it. But uh, and I'm glad we ranked it. But man, this is not one I need to come back and see again. You know, except for the opening scene, which I am happy to watch on the Art of the Title website where they have the full yeah. opening scene right. uh, where you can watch it, I don't think I need to see anything else in this film again. Yep, yep. This this really, it ended up being a double whammy. Yeah, it really did. It, this really, is a, it really was. So It, it really was. It, it is a, it's a great way to, I think, provide context for a discussion going forward, and I'm really looking forward to continuing this with Catherine Bigelow Talk next week. Definitely. Uh, so... Uh, uh, and the other last thing, which we definitely have to put a link up, but the reason that I still think um, I will always uh, have a small uh, kind of glimmer of excitement about this film is only because of the teaser trailer that came out with this, where Ray Fiennes is talking to the camera and he's like pitching you on this experience. Yes. And I found that teaser just amazing. I still do. I watched it recently. It's an amazing teaser, and it's definitely, definitely worth looking at. The opening is worth looking at, and uh, and then that's all you really need to look at. You know, I'm really glad you brought that up. I I, uh, I was talking to uh, to Tom Metz, our other uh, sort of invisible colleague, and and that was his reaction too about Strange Days. Was the only thing memorable about that movie was the, in his words, chilling teaser. And, yeah. And I I agree with with both of you there. I think that it was it. It, that really uh, it illustrates the the value uh, of the teaser and the trailer as its own kind of story in itself. It it's far more interesting to watch. Truly, truly, truly. All right, all right. People have a great new year. We're uh, glad you're with us. If you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. Uh, please head over to iTunes, drop us a review. If you have any spare stars, we would love five of them. Uh, it helps other people discover the show. If they love movies, you are doing them a favor. Thanks, everybody. We look forward to seeing you online. Let's see you in 2013. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>